We started a new series last week called Un, and uh, we said that Un is the prefix that you put in front of something to make the opposite happen. And uh, it's, it's a little word, but it makes a huge difference in our lives. And the Un moves in and out of our lives to change things. Uh, we gave an example last week. We said sometimes we're afraid of situations, and God comes and gives us courage, and suddenly we are unafraid. And it, it, it changes the course and the pattern of our lives and what's going on. And we said that one of the ways that God does that, one of the ways he brings un in and out of our lives, is when we start to believe the promises of the kingdom of God. What Jesus came and preached, what he released when he went around healing people, casting out demons, all those things were demonstrations that the kingdom had come. And we said last week that the, God's kingdom is from heaven, but it is for the earth. Because the earth is where it needs it. How many of you experienced just this week that there are still things messed up in the earth? Okay, yeah. Like 100% hands going up in the room right now. So heaven is where things are perfectly happening and executed exactly the way God wants them. Earth is where we need to see his kingdom come. That's part of why Jesus commanded his disciples to pray this way. Pray for the kingdom to come and God's will to be done. Where? here on earth as it is in heaven. So that's, that's what we realized last week when we started talking about un. We said there are very real kingdom realities. There, how many of you know there is a kingdom and there is a king? His, his name is Jesus. He has a will and he has power to cause things to happen the way that he wants them to in our lives. And the kingdom is both now and still coming. We are praying for even more. Lord, the miracles we've seen, the promises we've seen in our lives, God, let more of it happen. Let it happen in our lives so that it would be a testimony to the world around us that you are real, you are alive, and you are full of power. So that's what we're after when we're talking about the kingdom. And last week, our first un that we looked at is we said the kingdom is unshakable. How many of you think that's good news? When, when something that is unshakable comes in our lives, everything else that can be shaken will be, and some stuff stops shaking and comes into order in our lives. So that was the concept we looked at last week. And I was thinking this week a little bit more about the power of un and how we see it everywhere. How many of you are Marvel people? You like the Avengers? You like all those movies with the superheroes? Do you remember the Marvel movie, The Avengers Civil War? where, where they, they actually, the superheroes fought against each other. Well, I realized, I finally figured out why they were fighting in that movie, why they were having a disagreement in a civil war. So uh, here is what it actually was. They were arguing over Un. Captain America is a sweet tea guy, and Iron Man is unsweet tea. How many, how many unsweet tea people in the room? Like, okay, like a half, how many sweet tea people? Okay, there's, we're about to throw down in the room right here. Cause, and if you're sitting there with your spouse and one of you raised your hand for unsweet and one for sweet, we might need to do some marriage counseling later. Well, that, that was, how many of you have ever been surprised because you thought you were ordering sweet tea and they brought unsweet? Yeah, that, that may have been unexpected. And you made the face like, oh, what is this? So that's, that's not really what happened in that movie, but there, You'd be amazed how many people have an opinion about their drinks and what's going on. So we see that un makes a big difference in things. And and we don't actually fight over things like that anymore. What I found that people do in thinking about un is they unfriend people. A couple years ago, how many of you know Oxford Dictionary made that their word of the year? It was a new word that they actually added unfriend. And has anybody ever done that? It's like somebody offends us or we see some post on their social media that we don't like and we were like, I'll show them. I'll unfriend them. 
And they don't even know about it. Like, how did that really hurt them? That you might be, you might be in trouble if this happens to you ever. If you're at work sometime and you realize this can't be good, my employer just unfriended me. You, you might be about to get some bad news if that happened in your life. And uh, believe it or not, I was looking up. You may have seen our, our social media stuff this week, and uh, they posted a picture of Di wearing her unstoppable shirt. And how many of you saw that? Uh, there it is. I, I googled unstoppable, and this was actually the biggest thing that came up for pictures of unstoppable. I don't know what T-Rexes and dinosaurs have to do with unstoppable, but that was like the first hundred results was I'm unstoppable. So he, he got an invention to get his short little arms to reach things. Uh, some people accuse me of that's, that's the arms I have when the check arrives at the lunch table to pay for it. You ever see those commercial, the alligator arms or the T-Rex arms? Let me pick up that check. Oh, I can't reach it. But that was, I was amazed. That was the first thing that popped up when I said, what is unstoppable? There are pictures of dinosaurs trying to reach things. And uh, I was thinking about the concept of being unstoppable. And, and it actually, uh, in addition to the dinosaurs, I saw this quote this week. And it said, if it wasn't for physics, I'd be unstoppable. You would be amazed at the, at the incredible two-handed reverse dunk that I could do if it wasn't for gravity. I don't know about you, but any, every time that people quote the verse of, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that's not true for me in sports. Like, as much as I would pray about it, as much as I would believe, Lord, help me do this, this white man can't jump. So there is not going to be any dunking. I, I would be unstoppable if it wasn't for physics. And, and I guess there was somebody a little, a little more unsavory than the person that made that quote, because the other quote that I saw right next to it is, if it wasn't for law enforcement, I'd be unstoppable. <laughs> so hopefully nobody in this room is thinking about that one this morning. If it just wasn't for those cops, I'd be unstoppable. How, how many of you know the reality is there are things in this life that appear unstoppable, but they're not? And the only thing that truly is unstoppable is the kingdom of God. What Jesus is doing, what he died on the cross to do, what he is accomplishing in this earth through the power of his Holy Spirit is the only thing that is truly unstoppable in this universe. Can I get one amen in this place this morning? Like that is the truth and the reality. No matter what we think, uh, we, we might have seen some things that were unstoppable in our lives. How many of you are old enough to remember Mario Lemieux on a breakaway? Man, come on, talk about unstoppable. He would get the puck and, and go in all alone, or even with defensemen there, and the goalie would just start quaking in his boots. There were some things that look unstoppable. We, we might think, and if you've ever seen an avalanche coming down a mountain, that looks unstoppable. You might have watched a whole bunch of news stories about a coronavirus this week. How many of you know the kingdom of God is more unstoppable than any illness, any disease that could ever spread. There are things that we get so caught up because we're natural people. We think that's inevitable. It's never going to stop. What could we ever do about that? And there is only one reality that is unstoppable since the beginning of time for all eternity. It is Jesus and his kingdom. What he has done is truly unstoppable. And uh, don't get tired of this verse. We're going to read it this morning. 
I use it maybe once a quarter because this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. In Isaiah chapter 9, it talks about right after the verse where it says, Unto us a son is born, he is given to us, and the government's going to be on his shoulders, and all these promises. And in this verse, in chapter 9 of Isaiah, verse 7, it says this about God's kingdom and prophesying about Jesus. It says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Everybody say, no end. That is a promise we need to latch on to right there. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And it says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. If, if you have been around for any length of time at New Life, you probably know several things that I'm going to say about this verse, but I feel like it's good to say them again because we need to get them down in our spirit. If you look at that verse, this verse describes an unstoppable kingdom that Jesus came to release. Now, Isaiah was an amazing prophet. Uh, he had some visions of the new covenant and the realities of Jesus coming and what he was going to establish. Isaiah did some pretty crazy things too. There, there were some stories in there that you're like, God, please don't ask me to do what you asked Isaiah to do. But if the trade-off is I get to see things the way in all of their fullness, the way Isaiah did, maybe I would take that. But he saw a vision of Jesus coming and establishing something in the earth, and it was an unstoppable kingdom. Uh, if you look at that verse, it says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. What, if you are a grammar person, what in that verse is actually unending? What is unending is the increase. When Jesus came, he released something into the earth that started to grow. It was a kingdom. It was peace. It was righteousness, joy, all those things that are associated with it. And Isaiah prophesied that when Jesus came on the scene and released his kingdom, it was going to be unstoppable. The increase is what will continue to happen with no end. And I don't know where you are in life, what you see about the world, but if your worldview is that things are going to hell in a handbasket, you may need to go back and look at things with different eyes. Because if Isaiah was a true prophet of God, which we believe he is, he got his book included in the scripture, then Isaiah said that the kingdom was going to continue to increase without end. That means tomorrow that we're going to see more of the kingdom than there is on the earth today. And if, if we're not seeing that, maybe we're watching and listening to the wrong things. All right, I'm, I'm moving on from that. Uh, Oh, that's such a good verse. I want to read it every week, but I know I couldn't do that because there's other scriptures in the Bible that we need to talk about. Uh, When Jesus came on the scene, he came to reveal what he'd been working on all along. This was his plan from the beginning of time that the things on the earth would look exactly like they do in heaven. And that's what Jesus came to release to us. In that verse, when it says he came to establish David's throne and uphold it with justice and righteousness, David's throne was not talking about a literal chair or a natural government over in the Middle East somewhere. When you see the term David's throne in Scripture, he is talking about kingdom promises that he came to establish, that he came to bring a government from heaven to see it come on the earth. There were promises that he gave to David that went way beyond just a natural kingdom and a natural rule. What, what makes God's kingdom unstoppable? If we're reading that verse together, and that verse is still up there behind me, right? What makes God's kingdom unstoppable? Come on. What makes God's kingdom unstoppable is the fact that it's not my idea and it doesn't happen through my power. 
It says the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It was his idea and he's the one bringing it to pass. If we are waiting to see more of the kingdom come based on my works and my effort, we're going to be waiting a long time because I get tired. I run out of strength. I don't have the ability to see a billion different things at once and cause them to all work together for good. If it's on me, it's not going to happen. But the scripture says that it's God's zeal that is accomplishing this. He is the one that wants to see it come and happen. If, if you study out that word zeal in that verse, it is an intense emotion. It is passion. It is fiery. It's almost like envy or jealousy. There's something about it that is white hot. That's like an emotion that you've had. Think about the thing that you've ever been the most excited about in life. What, I don't even know what it is. It could be a sporting event. It could be your spouse. It could be the job, what you do for a living. What motivates you? What gets you up in the morning? Come on, is, maybe I should stop at that question. Do we have something that gets us up in the morning? Or, or do we just roll out of bed like, oh, it's daylight again. I guess I got to get up now. Come on, there is something in each one of our lives that gets us out of bed in the morning that we're like, I can't wait to do that. Whatever that is for you, that passion, that zeal, that energy that you feel, what motivates you and stirs you like that, this verse implies that's how God feels about seeing his kingdom come in the earth. And it's his zeal that's accomplishing it, not anything that I did in my own strength. And even though it's his zeal that's accomplishing it, uh, the kingdom doesn't expand just passively. And now we can go to the next slide. This is one of the main things I wanted to tell you this morning. The posture of kingdom people is not defensive. Have you ever, have you ever felt like, oh, I'm just holding on to some things. I, I just got to make sure I don't lose any of this, and I got to do whatever I can to protect this. That is not the posture of God's people who know they are kingdom citizens that walk in the authority and the power of the name of Jesus. We are not on the defensive. When Jesus brought the kingdom, it was a dark time. Isaiah said in those verses in chapter 9, you can go back and read all of them later, but he said the shadow of death was over the land. When Jesus came, the kingdom was not everywhere. He brought it, initiated, opened the door to it, and it started to expand. It was not a defensive play to say, I'm bringing the kingdom just so we can hold on to what we already have. That wasn't the plan from the beginning. If you go back all the way to the beginning and read the book of Genesis, God told Adam some things. He said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the whole earth. He was implying to Adam that what's outside of the garden doesn't look like it is right here inside the garden. And he told Adam, take what we have here the order that you see, the intimacy that we have when we walk together in the cool of the day, the way that you know I want things to work because you've walked with me and you've heard my voice, take that and go out there with it and cause what's in the earth to come into alignment with what we have here. The posture of kingdom people is not defensive. There is something that we are to be interested in expanding and seeing the rule and reign of Jesus everywhere else around us, not just Yes, yes, in our own lives. Can we start there? Can we at least agree, I want the rule and reign of Jesus to happen in my life? Right? Like we're in the same room this morning on the same team believing the same stuff, right? So not only do I want it in my life, though, 
I want to see it happen around me in the life of my family, in my workplace, in the people I meet at school, wherever you go, there should be something driving you that says, I want what I have with Jesus, this relationship I have, the blessings I've experienced, the love that I felt from him, I want the people around me to have it too. I want the the freedom I've experienced, the wholeness that I feel because of Jesus, I want that for the people around me. And here's a verse, we alluded to this and mentioned it last week, but I put it on the screen this week. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. Jesus was preaching and he told his disciples, he said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. It doesn't sound like nice, quiet, simple Jesus sitting on the hillside just calmly talking to people, does it? He's telling them about violence and forcefulness to lay hold of something. There is an expansion and an advancement of his kingdom that Jesus wants to see. And I will tell you who he's asked to be a part of making that happen. Look at your neighbor and say, it's you. There's, there is something beyond just our own individual lives and the things that I'm doing right now. Yes, Jesus cares about that, but there is something beyond that that he wants us to be involved in. He has called us to be expanders of the kingdom. When it says forcefully lay hold of it, that there is a bent to that word that is an aggressiveness. It almost gives, uh, in Strong's concordance, it actually gives the implication that it's like an attack. I'm going to grab something with force and take it away. And it's not something that you're stealing from somebody else. That's what makes this verse so crazy to me. It's not like I'm going and taking something that belongs to somebody else that I have no right to. Jesus is saying, I've given you this, now forcefully lay hold of it. And I almost, I almost, I had a picture this week that it was like if you owned a gold mine. Like, this is my gold mine, I own it, I have the right to it, but I am going to go in it every day and grab stuff out of it and bring it out to give it to people around me. It's, it's promises that we have access to, that he has opened the door to us, he's given them to us, but they're still not a defensive posture, not passively. There is a forceful action of laying hold of it. It's like saying, heaven is open. What do you want to take out of there and see happen here? And that's what he means by forcefully advancing and forcefully laying hold of it. He's not talking about natural violence. He's not talking about take your, take your Bible and your baseball bat and go try to convert your neighbor. Come on, that's, that's not what he's meaning by that verse. But he is saying there are truths and realities of the kingdom that you can grab hold of with all your might and pull them out of that realm into this one. And it happens because of the name of Jesus that he's given us and the door that he's opened to us. He has called us to be unstoppable people because we serve an unstoppable king of an unstoppable kingdom. I got one amen. Can we, can we be excited together about that? Like, there is something unstoppable that he's released into our lives. And this, this wasn't a new theme. We read that verse in Isaiah. And a lot of scholars actually say Jesus was likely referencing this uh, passage from Micah that I want to put on the screen. In Micah chapter 2, verse 12, very little known prophet, but is in the Bible. He said some uh, things that prophesied about the coming reign of the king. And this is what Micah prophesied in chapter 2 and verse 12. It says, I will gather them together like sheep in a pen, like, like a flock in its pasture. Who do you think of when you think of the sheep of his pasture? Shepherd, I'm seeing, I'm, all right, that's why I stopped there, to, to focus us all on this one thing. We are called the sheep of his pasture. 
I, I don't know why he used the analogy of sheep for us. Uh, we were just talking with Jim last week. Sheep do some pretty amazing things. They know how to gather together. They know how to protect themselves from the wolf that's coming. They, they huddle close together. And the wolf, when he comes to get the sheep, he could actually walk across the backs of them. That's how close they come together. And when they sense there's a wolf around, they don't just come together in a big clump by themselves. They look for the shepherd and they gather around the shepherd. And they cluster as close as they possibly can to the shepherd to say, protect us from what's coming around us. So Jesus called us sheep. So when I see this in scripture, I get a clue to think he's talking about us. Micah's giving a, a prophecy about the church, about who Jesus is going to gather together and pull to be the sheep of his pasture. And so he says, I will gather them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. They will make a lot of noise because there will be so many people. If, if you heard Bill trying to get people's attention for after greeting time, he was, he was up here several times trying to get people to come get ready to, to bring their offering this morning. It wasn't as loud on this side, right here in this area. But over here... <laughs> Where there were a lot of people, it was so loud that you, you may have missed it this morning, but several times Bill said, hey, let's get back to our seats and let's gather together. Let's get ready to give. And, and then finally Bill said, man, once you turn the family loose to talk to each other, it's hard to get them back together. Come on, that's what Micah was seeing. He wasn't seeing just a hundred people in a room. Micah was seeing throngs of people. He was seeing so many people in his vision, it will be such a great noise because Jesus will gather so many to himself. Like the sound of many waters it talks about in Scripture. There are promises that people will come and gather to him. And so Micah goes on to say, the Lord will open the way and lead them. They will break out, go through the gate and leave. The king will travel in front of them and the Lord will lead his people. And that's they say that this verse is actually what Jesus may have been referencing when he talked about violence and laying hold forcefully of the kingdom because there are some translations of this verse in Micah that instead of saying the Lord, it actually calls him the breaker with a capital B because he makes a way where there is no way. He crushes the opposition. He goes through the wall and leads his people in victory. And it's, it's that same concept of there being violence in the kingdom and forcefulness that we lay hold of. It says the Lord will lead them out, and the Lord will be the one that leads his people. We can forcefully enter into the kingdom because of what Jesus did. When he came and went to the cross, he broke through. And he made a way for us to access promises and to own things that we could never produce in our own strength. That's, that's a good point to just stop and say, thank you, Jesus, you made a way for us. No matter how much the enemy has tried to close things off to you and shut the doors in your life, Jesus made a way that stays open. And last week, we, we said that when something unshakable appears, everything else begins to shake. I want to tell you and finish with this story today. When something unstoppable appears, other things have to stop. When Jesus comes and we realize your kingdom is unstoppable, the things around us are what has to stop. Your faith doesn't have to stop. Come on. Your joy doesn't have to end. Your peace doesn't have to go out the window because of the circumstances of life. When we realize that we are kingdom people and He has released things in us that are unstoppable, everything else has to stop so that those things can flow. 
Sometimes we, we get so natural-minded, we take our eyes off of heaven, and we think that the, all there is is what's going on in the earth. And if we do that, we start to believe like, oh, well, I guess I'm not going to see victory there. I guess that's inevitable. I guess that's going to happen. And Jesus tries to recenter us on, I have released something in your lives that is unstoppable. No one can snatch you out of my hands. No one can rob your joy, your peace, the love that I poured out in your life. Those things don't have to stop. Everything else does. And uh, this is the story I wanted to share with you today. The, The Israelites were getting ready to enter the promised land. Moses had died. Joshua was their leader now. They had finished their journey in the desert. Anybody ever felt like you've been wandering around the desert for 40 years? Just, just two of us. Like, you're, you're sitting there thinking, this sermon feels like I'm wandering in the desert for 40 years. <laughs> Tell us something, Pastor Chris, that we could take away. They, they had finished wandering around the desert for 40 years because of their unbelief. The people that didn't believe that Jesus' kingdom was unstoppable had been moved out of the way. And they were getting ready to enter the promised land. And the only problem was there was a raging river between them and their promise. Have you ever been there in life? Like you got a word from God. You know, like God's given me promises. I see them. I'm believing them. It's just on the other side. But you feel like there's a river between you and your promise. Like how am I ever going to get across that? Come on, we've all been there at some point. Even with a word from God. We wonder, how's that going to happen, Lord? Because I, I can't get to the other side. I'm, I'm stuck right here. And that's where the Israelites were. God had given them a word. He'd given them promises. But there was this river between them and their promise. And they were thinking, how am I ever going to get from this side to that side? And God told them, it's time to move. Get up and move to the other side. And sometimes we have to hear the voice of the Lord saying that to us. We, we may think there's no way. We may think we're stuck right here. I, I guess I'll just camp out here because I don't see a way to get out of here. And we need to hear the voice of the Lord saying, get up, it's time to move. And I, I feel like that is, for some of us in this room, that is a right now word from God for us. Where, wherever you may think you're stuck, hear God saying to you this morning, get up, it's time to move. And there may be things that you don't see the answer to the promise. You don't see it materialize until you start to take that step, but you can't stay where you are. It's time to get up and move. And that's exactly what God told the Israelites in Joshua chapter 3 and verse 14. This is what it says. The people broke camp to cross the Jordan. Thank you, God, that they obeyed. When, when God said, it's time to move, they didn't just say, well, we can't get across there. We're going to wait until you do something before I tear down my tents and get everything packed up. Sometimes you need to take steps to get ready to move. I'm going to break camp. I'm going to pack the tents. I'm going to get the kids ready. Wherever you're saying, God, it's time to move. And so they got ready to move. And the time came to cross the Jordan. It says, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during harvest. They, the writer of this book included that in here, just in case anybody would try to say, oh, well, yeah, the Jordan, it could have been at low tide, or it's dried up for that season, or there, there was a drought. So he's saying, no, it wasn't just the river rushing. It was flooded. It was wider than normal. Uh, the Jordan, if, you, if you've ever looked at a map of Israel and seen the Jordan River, uh, the name Jordan actually means a descender because of the, the drop from where the Jordan River starts until it flows into the Dead Sea is precipitous. There's, there's not a lot of just places where, okay, it's just a flat spot that's just running along. You could take your canoe and get to the other side. 
it's like category whatever three four five rapids the whole way because it just drops and so not only is that river rushing and so rapid it's at flood stage it's it's out to the point where everybody's thinking that we don't even try to cross it this time of year so the israelites are sitting there saying there's my promise not only is this river rushing but it's flooded it's about to overwhelm us how could we even think about crossing this Uh, so Can I tell you the Israelites were right where most of us live in life? We need a miracle. How many of you have ever looked at your circumstances and just thought, I need a miracle. God, whatever, that title is to say, God, you're the breaker, the breakthrough, the anointing, whatever it is, I need you to show up and do a miracle in my life. And that's right where the Israelites found themselves. They needed a miracle. There was no way they could just gently cross. They had their word from God, and so they obeyed. They just started to take steps. It says the priest picked up the ark, and they started to march. And this is what it says in verse 15. It says, As soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Come on. All the people that had come out of Egypt and seen the Red Sea part, they had died. Whatever happened, they got in their unbelief. God said, this whole generation is going to pass away. So this new group of people, they had only heard stories. They didn't have the experience in their life of seeing waters part so that they could walk through on dry ground. And some of us, we're at a place where as much as we've heard other people testify, as much as we've heard the stories of God, we need to take steps to see God move on our behalf. We, we each need to have a testimony. You can't live, you are not going to live a super successful Christian life and, and be a pillar to tell people what's going on if you've never experienced anything yourself. If, if we're only relying on other people's testimonies. There, there's good stories, there's encouragement, there's a little bit of power there, but each one of us, we need to see God for ourselves. I, I love hearing stories from other people. I love hearing what God has done in each of your lives. When you come and you you say, Pastor Chris, you'll never believe what happened this week. We were praying and this happened. That's awesome. That encourages me. That that is part of what helps me get up in the morning. Like I get excited thinking about people's lives are changing because they're meeting with Jesus. But what sustains me through everything else, through the dry times in my own life, is when I can look back and say, God, I saw you do this in my life. I, I have a testimony. I'm, I'm excited for the other testimonies that I hear, but God, I've got something that no one can take away from me. And that's where this whole generation was. They, no one else that had seen God part the Red Sea, except for Joshua and Caleb, were still alive to, to remember, okay, I've seen this before. Water's not a problem for God. And so when, they, when this whole new generation said, we're going to obey, we're going to start taking steps, they saw God do a miracle and the waters parted. And uh, sometimes I think we read that verse that says the priest carried the ark, they stepped into the water. We need to remember that we're priests and we carry the presence of God. He He has made all of us a kingdom of priests and we carry his Holy Spirit within us. So there are times we need to take a step and say, you know what, I can go into the water even though it looks like it's gonna overwhelm me because I have God's presence with me. And it goes on, uh, verse 16 says, what, what did the water do? It piled up in a heap a great distance away. I don't know, what does a heap of water look like? You ever read that verse? How, how does that work, God? Is, that just, is it like a big thing of jello? What's a heap of water look like? I, has anybody ever tried to stack water into a heap? 
You know that's supernatural because it doesn't work that way unless you've frozen it, I guess, and you're into ice sculpture. It says the water piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. And while the, water was, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, or if you look on a map, that's also called the Dead Sea. It says the water flowing down to the Dead Sea was completely cut off. So the people of God crossed over to the opposite side near Jericho. Uh, if, you, if you look at those words in that verse, uh, the town or the region of Zarethan, that is a Hebrew word that means their distress. And, and what is, who does Adam represent? Adam is your old life of who you were before Christ. And sometimes we, we need to see God that he has really cut off that flow. That your old life, the sinful things that you did, your identity in Adam causes you distress. And it keeps you from entering into the promises of God. But if we know that he has made a way, that he's cut off that flow in our life. Because that flow, all it produced, how many of you know the, the, this flow of Adam that was causing distress in your life caused there to be a dead sea? There, there was no life happening because of that. And Jesus, through the power of the cross, stepped right into the middle of that flow and cut it off. And it, all the water that was flowing in your life from your distress, from your old nature, piled up at a great distance away, and you're able to walk into your promised land on dry ground. We need to believe that. Come on. It's, it's not a struggle back and forth of, oh, is, am I Adam today or am I Christ today? Come on. We need to believe that Jesus, through the power of the cross, stepped into the middle of our existence and caused the flow of who we used to be without him to cease in our lives. There, there still may be habits and there may be old ways of thinking that you need to deal with in your life, but you are not in Adam anymore. Jesus himself made a way for us to enter into the promised land and see what he did. He made a way and opened the door so that we could forcefully lay hold of some things and see our lives change in the lives of the people around us. And verse 17, just to finish that story, it says, The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed crossing on dry ground. You can stand right in the middle of even the place where you were overwhelmed or where it looked like the water was going to crash over you, that you weren't going to be able to reach your promise, you can stand right in the middle of that place and say, I, I am unstoppable. The, the stuff that was flowing around me has to stop when Jesus shows up on the scene, when I realize I have kingdom promises that I have access to. And the, what we see, what happens, the promises of God causes the things that are overwhelming us to stop because he is unstoppable. And I don't have a different action item for us this week. The presence of God that causes things around us to stop, what makes the kingdom unstoppable, how do we access those things? We begin to worship. And, and I will tell you this week, last week we got up, we sang a song at the end of service. Uh, just to worship a little bit on the way out to remind ourselves we are unshakable people. This week, I'm going to tell you, worship doesn't always have to do with music. How many of you know that? Any Anything you do unto the Lord can be worship. Anything, it doesn't have to be musical. You may not be a good singer even, but you can sit where, where you are and begin to rehearse what God has done. You can begin to say, Jesus, I believe that you are the powerful one. 
God, you are the creator of all things. Even when there's chaos in my life, just like there was in the book of Genesis, you hover over that and you bring a new creation out. You can begin to rehearse who God is and what he's done wherever you are. Whether there's a band playing, whether there's drums, whether there's guitars, or whether you're by yourself in the middle of Walmart. Has anybody ever had a worship session and experienced God in the middle of Walmart? If, if you haven't, go try it. And see what happens. I, you, you may find some amazing things that happen when you're in the middle of the store and you decide this is going to be a holy moment. This is going to be dedicated to the Lord. And if you're willing to look for it, you may be standing in the middle of the store having a worship moment with the Lord when all of a sudden somebody comes up to you and says, man, this is what's going on in my life. I'm so depressed. I'm so hopeless. Like, have you ever had somebody just start pouring out their heart to you? You know, that's for a reason. <laughs> and God ordains those moments. And if, we're, if we've been in a place of worship, we're much more likely to recognize, I'm here for a reason. God, God supernaturally ordained for me to be here, right here, right now, to see his kingdom come in the life of somebody around me. You can worship wherever you are. So that's my action item this week is actually the same as it was this week. Purpose to worship. When, when you're in the middle of a circumstance that seems unstoppable, when, when you're worried about things you've seen on the news or people around you are telling you all these bad things are going to happen or you're just feeling overwhelmed, purpose to worship right in that moment and say, God, I believe when your unstoppable kingdom shows up, when your presence comes, everything else around me has to stop. Those things that were trying to rob my peace and my joy, they have to go the moment I worship. Let's go ahead and stand together this morning. I want to pray for us before we go. I also just want to continue to give the opportunity. If, if you're in this place and you've never met Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him, uh, you don't know what he can do in your life, you've never been a believer before, this is a great morning to do that. It's, it's as simple as saying, Jesus, I believe that what you did on that cross was for me. The, the sins and the things that I did to try to run my own life killed me. And I need you to give me life. It's a great deal. <laughs> and if you've never done that before, uh, there's going to be some people from the ministry team up front. They'd be happy to pray with you and introduce you to Jesus. And also, if you're in this place this morning and you've been dealing with stuff, whether it's sickness in your body, pain, uh, or just depression, something's been after you that you can't even put a, a name on it. You can't describe it. I've just been feeling this weight that's oppressing me. I don't know how to break it. Come up and get some prayer today. That's, that's why we're here today, to bear one another's burdens, to pray, and to see God release good things in our lives. So let's just pray together. Father, we thank you right now for your presence in us. God, we thank you that you came and release something into our lives that's unstoppable. Jesus, we thank you for the power of the cross that changed eternity, that things were never the same again in this earth after the cross and the resurrection. God, let us truly believe that and see that, that when you came into our lives, things were never the same again. And Lord, I ask right now that as we leave this place, uh, God, let us leave with a sense of knowing that we carry your presence just the same way that the priest stepped into that river and it had to stop flowing. We can step into the middle of circumstances where there seems to be turmoil and chaos that's going to overwhelm people. We can step into those circumstances with your presence and see things stop. 
God, I bless your people right now. I just thank you for your goodness, your, your relentless love and goodness that we see in our lives. We are grateful for it, Lord. God, I thank you that your promises and your kingdom aren't dependent on my ability and my power, but it's from your zeal, it's from your power, it's from what you accomplished, Lord Jesus. God, continue to have your way in us. Continue to let your promises be seen in our lives. We just say that we love you, we honor you, we give you glory this morning. Continue to be made famous through our lives, Lord Jesus. Not so that we would get glory or that we would be pumped up ourselves, but so that your name would be the one made famous in all the earth. We say, have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.